entitled the message, The Walls of Jericho Fall Down. And we've been seeing the, the call of God now on Israel after 40 years in the wilderness. And Moses, the Lord's servant, who had been leading them in that time, has gone to be with the Lord. We know he's raised up Joshua, Moses' assistant, who's also called the servant of the Lord, to now be in that place of, of, of leading the children of Israel as he's, remember, being led by the Lord. We know he sent spies into Jericho to scout it out as the Lord said I'm giving you the land and we remember they end up in the home of Rahab the harlot who out of faith hides them because she has a fear of the Lord and and she believes that the Lord's going to give that land that she's in to those in Israel and speaks of how their hearts are even melted and she takes that step of faith and then remember makes that deal with the spies she's hiding that you need to, to save me. And they said, put this scarlet thread in the window and everyone you get in your house, we're gonna spare. And we're gonna come back to that tonight. So I throw that out there. They go back to Joshua and bring the report that, hey, these people are trembling in their boots. This thing's ripe for the taking, you know, confirming the witness of the Lord. And then Joshua tells the people to sanctify yourselves, you know, put those things to the side that you've picked up in the desert and those things may be still lingering in your hearts from even the time in Egypt. God's called us to be a holy people and we're going into war and you don't want to go into war compromised. And just as believers, we're engaged in spiritual warfare and when we're living blatantly compromised lives, not talking about wrestling with things and you know what, learning to walk with the Lord, that's part of walking with the Lord, but those deliberate compromises, man, that brings casualties and war and setback and so forth. So he tells them to sanctify yourselves. And then last week we saw part of that was circumcising that next generation that had been born out there in the desert. And we saw that that first generation that didn't have faith to go into the promised land the way they differentiated between them and the new generation was through circumcision. And we know that older generation had passed away and that younger generation had not been circumcised. And if you weren't with this, you're like, what in the world does this have to do with anything? Remember, Abraham believed God and was accounted to him for righteousness. Abraham believed God would make a great nation out of him as he left Ur of the Chaldeans east of the Jordan River and came into this land that they're about to take. And then the Lord made a covenant with them. And he said, the sign of that covenant will be circumcision. That's going to be the sign that you believe. That's the sign that, again, you have faith in the God of heaven. And you believe that the Messiah is going to come through your nation. And kind of compared it to water baptism. We're, We're not saved by water baptism, but it is a sign. We're called out of obedience to be water baptized. And, um... We're, we're going to set a date for a baptism for our church. We're due for one. We usually do about three a year. And I always encourage people, if you haven't been baptized, look, at it doesn't save you. We're saved by grace through faith, but absolutely out of obedience. We want to be water baptized. It's a proclamation that he's my Lord and Savior. And I've shared this before in a lot of cultures. People don't take someone's profession of faith serious until they've been water baptized. And they're like, okay, this person's serious. And in some cases, there's great, 
you know, consequences for that. Sometimes people get kicked out of their family or get fired from their job or they become the village outcast and so forth. But God always meets his people where they are and, you know, absolutely brings everything that we need. And the Lord even speaks of when those things are taken from us, how he multiplies them back to us in other ways. So circumcision was similar to that. And so for the children of Israel to go to the Canaan, there needed to be the circumcision. And we even saw that when Moses, 40 years earlier, when he'd gone before Pharaoh to say, let my people go, his two sons had not been circumcised. And they start out following the Lord. Remember all of a sudden the Lord, after appearing to him in the burning bush, is, is ready to kill Moses. And you're like, what in the world's going on? And remember we read Zephora, his wife, circumcises his sons, throws their foreskins at him. I know this is some graphic stuff here. And then says, you're a husband of blood to me. And I had some questions afterwards. People were like, what in the world? And we had explained it, but I gave a little more definition. Moses was in a place where he was heeding his wife's counsel over heeding the counsel of the Lord. God had told him, you need to be circumcised. Moses knew it was part of the covenant. His wife did not want to do that. She was looking at it more practically. And, you know, they're older boys at this point. This can be painful for them and so forth. And yet when the Lord opposed Moses and was going to kill him, she saw she circumcised them begrudgingly. And then, you know, it went off with a rant and so forth. And really it's something to learn from. It's something for men to learn from. I don't think that would have happened if he would have just said before they left, look, at these boys are going to be circumcised and so I'm following the Lord, I'll pray for you, and then you need to deal with this issue. And it went so far that finally when it was played out, she's hostile about the matter and so forth. And we just really emphasize, again, we follow the Lord first and foremost. And when we make blatant compromises for husbands, for wives, for children, for other folks, there's always ramifications in that. And again, we want to do that in love as men the men in this place and leading your family you want to do it with gentleness but there's too many times especially with men and christian men they make compromises to appease others and it always will end up costing them that's not true leadership true leadership is i am led by the lord you need to come follow the lord's first so don't be trying to sidetrack me and there's a lot of that in the world today there really is. There's a lot of disorder in family and relationships and so forth. It's really a satanic plot to try to destroy the family and even to try to destroy the church and even the order that the Lord has put in place. So they circumcised them. And then we saw at the end of uh, <clears throat> chapter 5, it says the commander of the Lord's army appears to Joshua. And remember he asked the question, Whose side are you on, us or our adversaries, paraphrasing it? And he just says no, with no further explanation. And we talked about that. We saw how this angel of the Lord was the Lord Jesus. It was an appearance of the Lord in the Old Testament. That was confirmed in Moses falling on his face and worshiping the commander of the Lord. Because when we compare scripture with scripture, whenever men do that with angels, the angel always rebukes the man. And we saw that twice at the end of Revelation where John began to worship that angel and the angel says, get up, I'm your fellow serpent, worship God and listen to his word. We see the commander of the army of the Lord receives that worship 
it's a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. And when he said no, and again, the question was asked, are you for us or our adversaries? No, it wasn't the Lord saying, I'm not for my people. But again, it was the Lord, I absolutely believe saying, yes, these Canaanites are gonna be judged, but I'm not against them. He's against our sin and the time comes when judgment comes. But as long as people have breath in their lungs, God is for them getting born again and saved. And that's a huge lesson for us, a a huge reminder. Again, he's long-suffering in his return, not wanting any to perish. And remember in the midst of judgment about about to come on Jericho, there's an evangelistic uh, evangelism, a great mission work actually going on while they're getting ready to go in. Because we'll see tonight again, as they told Rahab, we'll spare you and all that are in your house Rahab the harlot had become Rahab the follower of the Lord and even more so Rahab the evangelist because she's out evangelizing right now her family. And we'll see when they go in tonight that her house is packed wall to wall with people. It's a glorious picture. And God was for Rahab and God was for all those people that again, she evangelized and by faith said, I'm going into Rahab. I wanna be again where that scarlet thread is. I wanna be under that You know, it's really a a picture of being under the shed blood of the Lord. And so we want to remember that, you know, God's out working. And oftentimes there's things going on that we're not even aware of. Joshua was aware of that and no doubt some others. There's probably 2 million plus people that are getting ready to go into the promised land. And most of them didn't have a clue, but God knew what was going on. And again, it's neat to see that unfold here tonight. So, um, he asked then after he worships the commander of the Lord, what would you have, to have of me? And he says, take off your shoes. The ground you're standing on is holy. And we kind of talked about that. You know, why was it holy ground? The Lord was standing there. And the things the Lord touched, they become holy. And we just kind of finished the message with, touch us, Lord. You know, you call us to be holy as you're holy. And then that's it. That's the end of the conversation. It kind of just comes out of nowhere it kind of ends abruptly and you kind of look at it there's some insights there and as i was contemplating and thinking about it this week you know what what's the main thing that you know as i look at it what's the main thing that unfolded why did that unfold there because again are you forced or your adversaries no he worships and then again what would you have of me take off your shoes you're standing on holy ground So no doubt at some point, the commander of the army of the Lord walked away and he put his shoes back on because we don't read about being barefooted the the rest of of the book. And so what was this mainly about? And, you know, there was a great work that was about to take place. There was not only one battle that was about to take place, but a series of them. And Joshua was gonna have to deal with just a, a lot of issues, people issues, uh, problems that would arise, you know, in, in Israel, which we'll touch on a little bit tonight, what comes next. <clears throat> and I think really the, the biggest thing in that and the biggest thing to glean from it is Joshua on his face worshiping the Lord. Because I think really that's the main thing going on. God was preparing Joshua to go forward and he was preparing him through Joshua being on his face before the Lord Jesus Christ. And I'll tell you, the things in our life that God has for us, like how do I prepare for that? Start by getting on your face before the Lord (laughs) in prayer and praise and worship, as well as absolutely 
saying, Lord, what would you have for me? And opening the word and learning what the Lord would have for us. So let's start here now into Joshua 6. And again, we're going to see battle instructions given. We're going to see the instruction given to march around this city for uh, six days. And then on the seventh to march around it seven times and to shout and the walls come a tumbling down. And then we're going to see in this as well. I think there's a lot of parallels here to our walk today as well as the coming of the Lord. And I want to bring those out as we go through this. And uh, it's pretty, pretty beautiful and awesome as we uh, <clears throat> just kind of make our way through down here. A lot, a lot of things. So let's go verse 1. It says, Now Jericho was securely shut up because of the children of Israel. So they got a fear of the children of Israel, remember? They, they knew about the Red Sea parting 40 years earlier and Egypt getting swallowed up in that sea and their hearts melted. And then they heard about the victories that they had secured east of the Jordan in the midst of dealing with, again, uh, enemies of the Lord over there. And then even in Jericho, from Jericho, from a high spot, you can absolutely see the Jordan River. No doubt they had to have seen the Jordan River. Remember, it split and all the children of Israel went through it. And again, we're talking most by most estimations, at least a few million people. Can you imagine seeing that? And remember, for those that want to explain away a miracle of God and say, well, you know, it's been time of the year when the water is real low and so forth, and an east wind came and it dried up. Yeah, I, it just drives me nuts when I hear, the reason they crossed the Red Sea is a wind came. I, I don't know if you guys have heard those before. And it becomes a, a, you know, an hour on the history, the history, less, you know, the history channel or whatever. Like, bro, that's a miracle from God. And if that wind came and drew that up and then it came back and it was low tide, as I always say, and many said it before me, how in the world did the Egyptian army then drown in a foot of water? And so they saw, and remember it said that it was the time of year when the water was spilling over. And I believe the Lord put that in there to even explain away these geniuses today that try to say, well, you know, the water was at a low point and this and that. It was in the spring. It was the, Mount Hermon. The snow was melting. And so it was overflowing and imagine being there in Jericho and already knowing these other things and you see out your window from a high spot that Jordan River split it going up like a wall on both sides. You see the priests come through first with the Ark of the Covenant and the people following and when the last person goes through the priests step out and the waters go back. Yeah, you're going to completely shut up your, your, you know, your uh, town and so forth because the children of Israel, what they were walking by faith. And it says, none went out and none came in in the Jericho. And the Lord said to Joshua, see, I've given Jericho into your hand as king and the mighty men of valor. Now it's interesting, you know, at Jericho today, um, I had the privilege to stop there once in, in four times to Israel. I doubt if this time around we'll stop there, we drive through it. But on one of the trips I went there, I went with, I, I didn't know at the time, the, the travel agency I went through, they, they kind of had a different perspective, in my opinion, an unbiblical perspective of the situation in the Middle East. And so the tour company we go with now, they're, 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 they're messianic Christians, and there's just some areas they don't go to because it's called the occupied territory. 
Though that's the wrong name for it. They act like this wasn't given to Israel, so they're in these lands and it's occupied by them, and some would say even illegally. And that, you know, you go to Arab nations, they don't even have Israel on their, on their map. That's wrong. That's a lie. That all that land, as we talked about many times, has been deeded to Israel, even far beyond that. And if you got a problem with that, you need to open up your Bible because God has deeded it to them. Your dispute is with God in that. You're at odds with the Lord in that. And it's sad how that a lot of people teach otherwise today that are ignorant to the scriptures And there's going to give an account to that. In fact, again, I'll go back to Genesis 12 where the Lord said, if you bless Israel, you'll be blessed. And if you curse her, you'll be cursed. So with this one group that I went once, we stopped in in Jericho. And it's a city now of maybe around, I think it's around 25,000 people. And it's interesting. I probably should have threw a map up or put it in your notes. If if you cross, and, and maybe some of you can have this in your mind where the Jordan River is. The Jordan River goes down to the Dead Sea you cross over that, and it's one of the first cities there. And then you can ascend upward to Jerusalem. And, and Jericho's in a low spot on the face of the earth. And Jericho, Jerusalem, I think, is about 2,500, 3,000 feet above sea level. Jericho's either at sea level or below it. And uh, quite interesting going there, just getting on the ground. You know, it got surrounded with people wanting to sell us stuff. And then there was someone there, and th- this is just, um, I don't even want to share this, but there, there was a, a camel there that you could get on and ride, and we had, we had got stuck with this, going over there with this other church that had a way different approach to Christianity. It's quite an experience for 10 days. And before the bus even stopped, it seemed like the other pastor's wife was out and up on top of that camel, camel before anyone even came out. I'm like, how did you get out here so fast? And look at me, I'm up on the camel. So anyhow, that's, that's my experience with Jericho. I probably just wasted two minutes of teaching time. But you know what? The people there were kind and so forth. And I really wanted to point out, though, that it's called occupied territory today, and it's not. That's deeded land to Israel. And I hit that every time because there's such an effort to villainize Israel today and even to act like, oh boy, they're oppressors. No. And I'll even tell you, the, I'll give you an insight here. And if you ever go to Israel, you'll see it. Those people that are in those occupied territories, as they're called, they're, they are a blessed and a happy people. And you get in there and talk to them, they'll tell you, we're better off than most of the Arabs in the entire Middle East. We're taken care of. Our economies are flourishing. You want to go live in that or do you want to go live in one of these Arab nations where here this, the Arab people, the Muslim people, I should say, over Arab, because there are many Arab Christians, they're a warist people. They're continually fighting amongst themselves. These in the so-called occupied territory, they're flourishing. There's 2 million Arabs that are citizens of Israel plus those in the occupied area. Now, in some of it, there's some more hostilities, but that's usually by a group of troublemakers. Generally, the people, they are so blessed, and they'll let you even know it, and they are blessed to be in Israel. And they even find as they bless Israel, they're even blessed back all the more. So just throw that out there for for what it's worth. So again, the, the cities shut up. And God uses this to tell Joshua, again, another confirmation. See, notice the exclamation point. I've given Jericho into your hand as king and its mighty men. And the Lord says, look, they're all shut up. 
The city is bound up. No one's coming or going. That's because they are fearing you because you are fearing me. Because you're walking by faith, they are locked down. They're not out there ready to go to war with you. No doubt they were probably hoping maybe we lock up, they'll just pass us and go to the next city. And so the Lord's showing them. And again, he says, look and see, I'm giving it to you. And we've touched on this many times, but quickly, why is he giving them to this after 400 years of slavery and 40 years in the wilderness, and now God says it belongs to you? And this is where a lot of people get tripped up. Oh, that's wrong. You can't just come and take someone other's land. Look at the history of the world. When man fell, war set in, and unfortunately, things unfold at times. And some wars are, are definitely vile and wicked. And others, look at it, it's the state of a fallen world. Get over it and grow up. Some people don't want to hear that. But generally, nations rise up. They get wicked, and God judges them by another people. That's the history of the world. It really is. And don't blame God with that. Blame fallen man in that. With this group of people, God had deeded it to Abraham, again, 450, 500 years earlier or so. And he had said, as you follow me, I'm going to give you this land that you're in. God keeps his promises. We'll see tonight, he keeps his promises to judge. And hear this, he also keeps his promises to his people in regards to the inheritance he gives to them. And you need to know tonight, if Jesus is your Lord and Savior, you have every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies, and we have inheritance that is going to be bestowed upon us for all of eternity. God made a promise. God keeps his word. So it's be, oh, that's horrible. They've been gone, now they're going in to take it. No, Abraham stepped out on faith, and God said, I'm giving it to you. It belongs to you. Also, again, it was time for the inhabitants to be judged. We'll come back to that in a bit. They, they're, 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 again, nations had ran a course of deep, deep sin, many opportunities to repent, and yet not only had they not repented, again, they were unashamed of their sin. And God only allows that to go so long. He's very merciful. God had been merciful to Jericho, Jericho knew the witness of the Red Sea splitting. Again, Rahab got saved through that. Those in her house got saved. The bulk of them, though, just continued on in their rebellion. And I know many men in rebellion, nations in rebellion, leaders in rebellion, they think they're just going to continue in their pattern, but the day's coming for everyone when we face an account before the living God, and it was time for them to be judged. Also, again, he was bringing them to that land to establish them, as a nation even all the more because the Lord Jesus Christ was coming through that nation. Not only, again, to be their savior, but to be the savior of the world, to be Rahab's savior who was there in Jericho. And then also to bring them into that land to establish them there so that even in these days, he would bring them back into that land that he's given to them. And we know the Lord will come and rule there for a thousand years in the millennial reign of Christ. Now listen real quick, and I touched on this a bit. We look around the world today, and it looks daunting. And, and even though that was, again, secured up as a city, that earlier generation looked with their natural eyes, and they said, we can't go in there. This is daunting. They're giants. They're going to crush us. And there's many Christians, and probably all of us at times, as we look around the world today in situations, it can seem overwhelming. Our world's not trending in a good direction. Have you noticed that? It's trending away from the Lord and the things of the Lord, and it's easy to look and 
feel overwhelmed. And even the Lord says, we are like sheep or lambs in the midst of wolves. And then the Lord even took that note there in Luke 18, uh, 8. When I come back, will I find faith on the earth? Not a good commentary on the state of the church. Will I even find faith because of so much waywardness even in Christianum? And it's, look, it's easy to look at that and be overwhelmed. But here's the thing. As you see headlines you know, unfolding, as you see you know, what, uh, um, elections unfold, and, and, and we see so many wicked laws being passed and so forth, especially in regards to baby and babies and you know, what the Bible would even call innocent blood, even though we're all born with this sin nature, it's easy to feel overwhelmed. But notice what he says to, to he said to, to Joshua, look, look and see. Look at this. Look beyond, again, these giants. Look and see what I'm doing. And tonight, I just encourage you as a believer, especially if you find yourself getting discouraged or frustrated or whatever, to look around and see. Because this world that we're in right now, you need to know as a follower of Christ, we're going to inherit the earth. We're going to judge the wicked rulers of this age. Some people say, oh, you're crazy. Well, you know what? They told Abraham he was crazy when he said, all this land, we're going to inherit it. God's faithful to his promises. You look around and see these things and take note, Matthew 5, 5, blessed are the meek, they shall inherit the earth. We're called to be a meek people. He's talking about believers. That's power under self-control. Revelation 5.10, again, the church in heaven, we see them declaring, he's made us kings and priests to our God, and we shall reign on the earth. We're talking about the earth right now, not the new heaven and new earth that will come after that thousand-year reign. And there's going to be judgment. We talked about this in Revelation. Revelation 24, I saw thrones, and they sat on them, and judgment was committed to them. And 1 Corinthians 6, 2, talking about believers, do you not know the saints will judge the world? We want to look at things in the right perspective because it's easy to look at this world right now and look at if you're going to follow the Lord, the Bible says you're going to suffer persecution. There's going to be trials, there's going to be tribulations, and it's easy to get bitter in that. It's easy to feel overwhelmed in that. It's easy to feel defeated in that. God has not called us to that. Number one, he's called us to cast our cares on the Lord and know I'm here to pray. I'm here to represent the Lord. I'm here to shine for Jesus. I'm here to encourage my brothers and sisters in the Lord. I'm here to be a voice that gives praise to God. There's no higher call than that. But also know as you look around, again, we are going to inherit these things. That shouldn't be the driving factor in our walk with the Lord. It should be the Lord, amen. But the reality is, these things will be inherited by the church. Again, the new heaven and new earth, but here on earth for a thousand years. That puts things in perspective. And God wants us to look and see things in that perspective. Because again, I think that helps us function in this time. I know for me, I get a lot less frustrated when I see wicked people passing wicked laws, doing wicked things. I pray for them. I pray for our country. But I also know the time's coming. You're going to be judged. You're not going to win. There's nothing more frustrating when corruption wins, right? When evil wins, when it's prevailing. When you see, again, just, this, just, just a runaway, you know, a rock rolling down the hill, and it's just consuming things, you know, like a snowball, maybe even getting bigger, and it's just got evil written all over it. That's what I look and see in our world today, as prophesied in Scripture, but look beyond that. 
Look beyond that. No, again, these wicked rulers and presidents and kings, and, and it, it's, it's the bulk of them. Oh, yeah, that left. Look, a lot of them are on that right, or just they're the exact same way. If they don't repent, they're not going to win. They just aren't. The World Economic Forum is not going to win. That is a board of losers that need to repent. And again, these days are coming soon. Perspectives, everything. I won't read it all, but in Luke 21, where the Lord talks about the signs and even men's faint, hearts fainting, we talked about this Sunday. He says, look up, lift your heads because your redemption is near. He tells Joshua, look up. He's telling us, look up. And then he also says there in Luke 21, 34 through 36, take heed to yourself. We should be more interested or even be more, again, concerned about the world, but sometimes people get so concerned about the world, they're not taking heed to themselves and their doctrine. And we need to make sure we're doing that. Verse three through, uh, uh, three through five, he says, you shall, he gives them battle orders now. You shall march around the city, all you men of war. You shall go around the city once. This you should do six days. So six days, six days, a lap around the city. And these were good-sized cities with walls built up and so forth. You know, no doubt this was a little bit of a walk. And seven priests shall bear seven trumpets of rams, <clears throat> horns before the ark. But the seventh day you shall march around the city seven times, and the priests shall blow the trumpets. And it shall come to pass when they make a long blast with ram's horns, when you hear the sound of the trumpet, that all the people shall shout with great joy, then the wall of the city shall fall down flat, and the people shall go up every man straight before him. So now the Lord gives them specific battle orders. And some, you know, have said that this, this seems like psychological warfare, which a lot of times is part of real warfare. They're all locked in. Let's just start marching around. We'll make their hearts melt a, a little bit more. And some have suggested as well, on that seventh day when all the trumpets were blown and all the people, you know what, shouted that it was them using sound waves to bring the walls down. It's been suggested. I'm leaning more on the side of miracles from a people who were worshiping God for seven days and walked in obedience. I'm, I'm going with that, but I get where the other parts coming from and i'm not going to completely discount that but overall it's a miracle from god because they're worshiping god and absolutely they're walking by faith spoiler alert the walls do come down if you haven't read it yet look at we're in a spiritual war aren't we and praise god we have specific battle orders i'm not going to read it ephesians 6 though I'll read the first verse, verse 10. Finally, my brother, be strong in the Lord, the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. And we go through again a call to put on this armor, walk in truth, righteousness, share the gospel of peace, have a shield of faith, a helmet of salvation. Use the word of God and pray in the spirit. Battle orders. We want to be found walking in that. And it's been pointed out why, by so many over the last few thousand years, all of the armor protects the front of the person because we're called to move forward. We're not called to retreat. Moving forward. And I'll tell you, amazing, amazing things happen when you obey by faith. Again, these walls fall down when they obey by faith. And I love 2 Corinthians 10, 4. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. 
So maybe tonight you even feel like, man, there's giants, there's giant issues and so forth. Walk in the prescribed battle plan given in God's word and you'll see God go before you and do mighty things. Again, all the people would shout, every man would go forward. Again, not just a selected few. And even when it comes to this spiritual warfare, we're all called to be engaged in it. We're all called to be a people of prayer. We're all called to be a people asking God, what are my gifts? I want to use them. I want to be about the business of God and the business of the day. Notice verse six, then Joshua, the son of Nun, excuse me, called the priests and said to them, take up the ark of the covenant and let seven priests bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark of the Lord. And he said to the people, proceed and march around the city and let him who is armed advance before the ark of the Lord. Couple things here, a real spiritual thing and then a real practical thing that's spiritual as well. Again, they're going into war, they're going to march and it was imperative they had the Ark of the Covenant going before them. And we've talked about the Ark of the Covenant, how there was a mercy seat where the high priest would meet with the Lord. And so they're going out to march and listen, you don't ever wanna go into war, you don't ever engage in spiritual war without the mercy seat before you. Guys, we need great grace, and we need great mercy. There's a phrase, uh, it's called the church militant. It's been around probably for 500 years. And really what it is, it's, it's it's a phrase that came up to describe really the church. It's the church militant. And, and many a, a pastor in times past has spoken about it, that ministry is something that, that, that it's not bloody in the literal sense, but it's an ongoing war. And even pastoring a church and being part of a church, there's an ongoing war that, that, that takes place. And, and, and sometimes it, it gets very messy and it gets very difficult. And there's challengings and there, there's surprises and you know, sometimes there's betrayals and there's, there's glorious salvations and so forth, but it is a military campaign in the spiritual sense. And I'll tell you, if I've learned anything in the last 30 years of being part of it, great grace and mercy, it's needed at every turn. God, give us great grace and mercy. Give us great grace and mercy in our homes and our witness and so forth. Always lean heavy on great grace and mercy, not like I got it all in control. I'm the man for the hour. Don't lean on that. Don't do that. I'm a cut above everyone else. You know, I'm kind of the standard. That's the trap of the devil. Lean on great grace and mercy. Lord, you go before us. Go before us in Wednesday night tonight. Go before us in, you know, this Christmas play coming. Go before us out of winter wonderland. We need mercy and grace to go before us. We want to be dependent on you. And then it's interesting as well. He says, send those that are armed before the priest and in a minute we're going to see there was an armed group behind the priest this isn't them not walking by faith but this is practical here we pray we trust in the lord we take steps of obedience and then there's also practical things as well those priests would be defenseless holding that ark so let's send some men in front of them with some weapons it's practical and a lot of people get uncomfortable with this and so forth oh you know there's a real move in christianum it's really headed up a lot by John Piper. Dude's got some really whack doctrine. And it's this pacifist doctrine where um, basically there, there's no self-defense involved. And he's gone so far to say if someone was attacking my wife, I would not defend her. 
and try and take the moral high ground in that. It's really effeminizing men. That, that's, that's the position of an effeminate. If you have that position, you're in sin tonight. That's a simple position. You would stand there and let your wife be sinned against or someone else. Look at biblically, you're to defend that person. And legally, in our land, you got a right to defend that person. And so instead, you'll call the cops and let them do what you're called to do. Look, there's a place for self-defense. There's a place for the Second Amendment. There's a place to defend your home. In fact, the Bible says if you don't provide for your home, you're worse than an unbeliever and denied the faith. So that's a practical side. God forbid, I don't ever want to be in that place. God forbid, but absolutely. Look, at these are practical things that are rooted in spiritual truths. God's practical. And so he says, you know what? Send some armed men out before the priest and then put some group, a group behind them. And I, I, I would just say this, woe to the person who would ever walk into this church armed. I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> but give us grace and mercy, amen? I'll, God forbid, God forbid, but these are biblical truths. And I say woe to the man that again, that would pervert these doctrines that are clear in scripture and even put an effeminate position upon men. And sadly, listen, there, there's, there's a, a generation of young people getting raised up that are under assault, especially the men, to, to not teach them to walk in the role to be a leader, to effeminize them. And I say that, that's no, that's no slight on women at all. But men are called to be men. And men lead and men protect. And, and look at, I'd rather go out defending than stand and go, go over in the corner and sin against God and my family or sin against this fellowship. There's a call for that. And it's rooted in scripture 100%. So we wanna stand in the truth of the word. Verse eight, so it was when Joshua had spoken to the people that the seven priests bearing the seven trumpets of ram horns before the Lord advanced and blew trumpets and the ark of the covenant of the Lord followed them. And armed men went before the priest who blew the trumpets and the rear guard came after the ark. So there's a front and a rear guard while the priest continued blowing the trumpets. Now Joshua had commanded the people saying, you shall not shout or make a noise with your voice nor shall a word proceed out of your mouth until the day I say to you shout, then you shall shout. And notice here again, the priests go, they're obeying the Lord and the people follow. Amazing what happens when pastors preach God's word and say, let's do it God's way. We gotta get back to that in our nation here. And then notice, don't say a word. So they didn't talk for six days during this process. No doubt by day seven, they were itching to shout. And I just thought about this. You know, God will restrain things at times. It's not time yet, restrain. And when we obey that, it's beautiful to see him bring a wellspring of power later on. So restrain your voices now, but the day's coming when you're gonna shout. I'm sure there's many other truths and applications there to be mined out, but verse 11. So he had the ark of the Lord circle the city, going around at once. Then they came into the camp and lodged in the camp. <clears throat> Joshua rose early in the morning and the priest took up the ark of the Lord. Then seven priests bearing seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark of the Lord went on continually and blew the trumpets and armed men out, went out before them. Notice it, it said multiple times. 
God's teaching us something here. Our men out before them and the rear guard came after the ark of the Lord while the priests continued blowing the trumpets. And the second day they marched around the city once and returned to the camp. So they did six days. So it's a pattern. Six days of this. Six days of the same thing. By day five, maybe it seemed mundane, but there was a big payoff coming. And let's face it, in the call to follow the Lord, there's times when you have seasons that seem dullish, is there not? They seem mundane. It's like the, the, the farmer who's planted the seed and like, oh, nothing yet, nothing yet, nothing yet. But I'll tell you, when you walk in obedience, there's always a payoff that is coming. As well as just the joy in the midst of it to say, you know what? Even when no fruit is on the vine or coming out of the earth, I'm gonna worship the Lord even in this. I think that's some of our sweetest praise. Galatians 6, 9, let us not grow weary while doing good. Notice, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. And so there was a payoff coming in the midst of the same thing for six days. Verse 15, so it came to pass on the seventh day that they rose early about the dawning of the day and marched around the city seven times in the same manner on that day they marched around the city seven times And the seventh time it happened when the priest blew the trumpets that Joshua said to the people, shout for the Lord has given you the city. Day seven came when the trumpets were blown, the people shouted, and again, we'll see the walls came in. And he reminds me of the Lord when he comes. We read in Thessalonians 4 and other places, he's gonna come with a trumpet blast. And I'll tell you again, all kinds of things are gonna come down. Mountains and islands, we read about it all over Revelation and more so this world system through a seven-year tribulation, and then, praise God, a millennial reign of the earth. Well, we will inherit the earth. We absolutely will. The Bible says that God's faithful to his promises, and again, we'll inherit it to his glory, to his praise. Verse 17, now the city shall be doomed by the Lord to destruction, it and all who are in it. Only Rahab the harlot shall live, she with all who were in our house, because she hid the messengers that we sent. And notice this city was doomed. And this city was doomed because of this city's sins. I don't got time to read it, but I picked out three passages, and there's more, where God instructed the Israelites, when you go into this land, do not do what the people did before. They walked in abominations. An abomination is something that is detestable to God in Leviticus 18 he goes through a list of abominations one of those abominations is homosexuality a man shall not lie with a man as a woman it is an abomination guys that hasn't changed it's sin against God I'll say it again the Lord loves these people but to make accommodation for these things that's not biblical that's not loving I'm reading an awesome book right now. I'm so glad I found it because it speaks to some things that have even gotten to our community. It's written by a man named Enoch Burke. And maybe you've heard of him because he's been in the news the last three or four months. He's a school teacher at a secondary school in Ireland who has been in prison for the last three or four months because he refused to call a he a they. He refused to call one of his students who was a male, created by God as a male, a they. He said, I won't do that. 
because he has, will not call this man, this, this boy in his class a they, he is in prison right now. You talk about wickedness. His conviction as a follower of God, I will not, I won't do that. And I loved it. I, I heard recently where he said, if I have to sit in this jail for a hundred years, I won't call that boy a they. I thought that's my guy right there. That's my guy. And I started looking around and he wrote a book called The Hedonism and Homosexuality of John Piper and Sam Albury. Maybe Sam Albury sounds familiar because he was invited into our city a few weeks back to teach on how you can have same-sex attraction and be a Christian at the same time and flourish in it. This is dangerous stuff, guys. Dangerous, dangerous things. It's not that God doesn't love the homosexual or the person practicing this. He loves those people. But he died on the cross to forgive them and then to make them a new creation in Christ Jesus. And I've talked about this a lot, but it's on my heart, and it's on my heart. I'm going to keep talking about it, and I'm not going to apologize for it. Because some people say, oh, I talk about that too much. I don't care. If God's telling me to talk about it, I'm going to talk about it. So I'll throw that out there as well. Because these things are huge. This is from Sam Alberry's, and we'll, we'll bring this together here. This guy spoke at a church right down the street. Just so you know, you go down the street, there's a high school, and it's on the other side of the high school. We set up a website. This is Sam Alberry. We set up a website, speak at churches and conferences. We have written books to show how you can be same-sex attracted and thrive as a Christian at the same time. That's Sam Alberry's words. They're introducing perverted language and bringing in this idea of same-sex attracted. That is unscriptural. That is a, a term in psychology that's been mustered up by men. Homosexuality is always associated with an act, with a sin. And so it's this idea, I, I have this attraction in me, and as long as I, I'm celibate, I can celebrate this attraction. He even says, look at if two gay men come in that are married with kids, you know what, just tell them to don't have sex, which but that's fine in itself, but stay married, by goodness sakes, for the sake of these kids. This is, this is gross perversion, and it's bringing homosexuality into the church. And here, it's an abomination to God. Jesus went to the cross to bear the sins of homosexuality. That abomination was placed upon him, not so that people would continue an abominable living and the church would concede and make room for this. Because when you make room for these things, leaven, it spreads. As I said many times, when the camel gets his nose under the tent, guess what? In a few minutes, the whole camel's gonna be in the tent. And it's why I'm passionate about it because I've seen this happen over 25 years and now we're at the point. And Enoch Burke does such an awesome job documenting. I only have two other copies of this in the bookstore. We have 10 more on the way. I can't, I can't recommend this enough because he shows how John Piper's the one that gave prominence and a platform for Sam Alberry. Because John Piper introduced a strange doctrine, a heresy called... Christian hedonism, Christian pleasure-seeking, and where he says, your desire for God is more important than your obedience to God. That's a, that's a lie. <laughs> that's a total lie. There were two sons that both said to their father, we're gonna go out and work. Or one said, I'll go out to work, and guess what, he didn't work. The other one said, I won't work, and I will go out, and he went out and work, and which one was the father pleased with? The one who worked, <laughs> But again, it goes back to emotions. It goes back to feelings. 
And so you got a guy who, you know what, emotions are this, and now there's a concession to say, hey, it's okay to be same-sex attracted even in a relationship as long as you're not engaging. And meanwhile, these things are abominable. And the Lord took that abomination on himself. And in Christ, you're a new creation. Old things have passed away. I'm just telling you guys, it's heavy, heavy on my heart because there is great destruction coming to the body of Christ if these things continue to be allowed in. I think there's a lot of ignorant pastors. There's a lot of men that go, does the gospel coalition approve it versus does the gospel of Jesus Christ approve of it? Because that's become the main influencer in the church in America now. And it's founded by men that believe in theistic evolution, Christian hedonism, and a whole range of great heresies and wickedness. Sadly, one of our leaders talked to some uh, elder over there. I didn't even know any of this stuff. He agreed with everything I'm saying, and yet it was brought right in. And I'm not trying to bash or whatever, but I'm gonna protect this church and preach truth and try to warn the body of Christ because I'm telling you, this will destroy, this will destroy much of Christianism in the West. Mark my words tonight. Mark my words. Enoch Burke does a great job saying, it seems like there's been a truce made between the church and, and homosexuality. And really it's an aim to make room for Again, people that say we have these attractions and, you know, he even talks, Sam Elbert talks about, don't try to convert them, just let them come in, let them mix in and so forth. And then, you know what, you know what make them feel comfortable and so forth. Look, at, if someone's coming in wanting to feel comfortable with that, number one, I, I, I just know when I came out of my sin and I came to church, it was like, I need to be washed, I need something better. It wasn't comfort me in my fornication and wickedness. I'm like, this is killing me. This is destroying me and everyone around me. Everyone is welcome who's seeking the Lord. But when you make concession for sin to come and be set in and leavened, that's gotta be purged out. That's not loving anybody. And this city was doomed because of that sin, as long with witchcraft, with burning their children, to, to their gods in fire. And I'm telling you, this stuff's not just in the culture, it's flooding the church. I'm not saying this to be shock, uh, you know, the shock pastor tonight. I, I wish I didn't have to say a word about any of it. I really do. I wish it wasn't the case, but it's the case. And I'm telling you, educate yourself. Don't get whittled down by this. You see it happening all the time. People say, this is wrong, this is wrong. Then their niece comes out as a non-binary whatever now. And well, you know what? You know, we don't want to talk about this. We need to love her where she's in. You do need to love her. And part of loving her say, honey, let's sit down and have a talk. Let me share with the word, the word with you. Let me share with you the, all of the regret out there of people that were, you know what? Fed this line. And someone texted me the other day of a testimony of a girl 17 years old. And she said, at 10 years old, I thought I was a boy. She said, I was overweight, kind of a tomboy. I I was trying to, I was just trying to, to find my place in life and I got coached up in this stuff. And I thought this will liberate me. And she got on all the medicines and all the, all the snake oil and the satanic. It's all satanic. And she said, I'm sitting here 17 and my body's destroyed and I want to be a woman. 
And no, no adult stood up. No one stood in the gap for me. Guys, it's not a small matter. And when you see it walk right into the church, and you see wolves like this be brought right in, they're not even creeping in notice now. They're coming in waving flags. Bear with me in it at the minimum, guys. I gotta talk about it. We gotta be defenders of the truth because notice, now the city shall be doomed by the Lord to destruction. We interpret scripture with scripture. Leviticus 18, 29, whoever commits any of these abominations, that person who commit them shall be cut off from among the people. Therefore, you should keep my ordinance. And then notice, do not commit any of these abominable customs that were committed before you. It's in the land they were going to, this land, that you did not defile yourself by them. I am the Lord your God. There's a defilement that's coming into Christianum. And it's more so than purpose-driven nonsense. These are abominable practice. And I'm telling you, it's not even loving the people in those sins. It's selfishness. It's the church wanting to be accepted by the world. It's spineless pastors that don't want a soldier for the Lord. And it's just wicked to the core. How's that for a rant? I could go on. And, and if someone wants to misinterpret it, oh, you're legalistic? No, this is holiness. I guarantee I'm the least legalistic pastor on the central coast of California. I guarantee it. I hate legalism to a core. But we are called to be holy. And we are called to represent Christ. We're not talking about someone with a struggle here. I understand those struggles. I get that. I struggled for years with things. It, 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 even of, 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 of those types of sexual natures. I understand. I understand when things happen to you as a little boy. I get it. And praise God for the person that says, wash me, Lord, I want to walk with you. And God will get you up and walk with you and he'll renew your mind. He'll do a good work. I'm 100% Look, there's people in our church that I'm counseling coming out of this lifestyle right now and they hear this preaching and they said, yes, that's what I want, I want Jesus. You don't know how many people that have come through that who, who, who come to this church or came for a season and moved away or whatever. And that's why I won't stand for a second this idea, oh boy, they're this or that. No, we preach the truth and the truth sets people free. Show me in the scripture. Show me in the scripture where this is off base. I'll say one more thing on it. We're not getting through the chapter and that's okay. I won't be obedient to the Lord. We'll finish this here and then and we'll stop at 18. But hear this, and I've, I, I said this I, Sunday or some other service. I only said it once, I think on Sunday. Here's the thing. When you make provision for same-sex attracted and this dude says, I'll never be delivered of it. I won't act on it. Yeah, right, leaven always spreads. And we'll teach you how to flourish by being the same thing. But here's the thing. You know what the world's pushing right now? Are you ready for this? It's a phrase, if you haven't heard it, get ready to hear it. Minor attracted persons. All the colleges are preaching about it. They're minor attracted. As long as you don't act on it and harm a child, it's okay. That's just how they are. What's the difference between that and the same-sex attracted guy? Is the minor attracted Born, you know, Christian, going to do the next conference? It's the same thing. You, you're repulsed to that. Maybe some of them, oh, you know, come on. 
Is that okay? God will renew your mind. <laughs> God will set you free. Feed yourself on the things of God and watch God renew your mind and change the things that you're, desired, you're drawn to. Look, when I was in the Lord, I wasn't drawn to church. I wasn't drawn to the word. I ran from that stuff. When I repented and started following the Lord and said, I gotta, I gotta get this stuff out of me. More and more, I, was, I had a desire to, or, or a, an unction in me of renewing the mind. I wanna, these things are attracted. I'm attracted to walking with the Lord and this is good. This is life over here. I, 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 I baffled. Look at John Piper, at one point had 7,000 followers on social media, then went to 70. It's like in the millions now. And people hear this guy's name, and oh, the dude's a wolf. To the highest degree. Because the best wolves are the hardest ones to spot. And it just, I'm barely scratching the surface on it. And effemination, making men effeminate and promoting these things. And I standing up here, oh, I'm a tough guy. What no, we're, t- we're talking about what God, how God has made men to be and women to be. This is an assault on God. And there's no gospel in any of it. And notice that city shall be doomed by the Lord to destruction. Why? They embrace these abominations. They embrace these things. So what of the church? And when I say that, I, I mean Christianum. Because I think there's so much apostasy. And praise God, they're, 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 I'm not saying there's not believers out there. There are. And even in some of these places, there's people that they're, they're, not, they're not being told truth. Now the city shall be doomed by the Lord to destruction. It and all who are in it. But then note, this is a great note to finish on. For tonight only Rahab the harlot shall live. And all who are with her in her house because she had the messengers that we sent. Again, her faith was seen in hiding those spies and notice how the Lord notes her. And we touched on this a few weeks ago. We'll talk about it next week, how she's called Rahab the harlot all in this point. But when we see her Matthew 1 and the genealogy of Christ, that title's dropped and she, she's Rahab because that's what she was, not who she is or who she became. She became Rahab the evangelist, really. Rahab the evangelist. This gal went out and went to work. She said, I don't want, I don't want this life. I, don't, I want the Lord. And the Lord set her free. And you see her set right there in the genealogy of Jesus Christ. Because she embraced the Lord. And that title was dropped. She became a new creation in Christ Jesus. Old things had passed away. That's what she was and I'll just finish on this verse. It's it's later in the notes. First Corinthians six nine, and this puts us all. This puts any argument. Maybe you're sitting here tonight. Oh man, Steve, you're wrong. You can you can, you know what? People are born that way, or you know what? That's what this is. You need to quit. You need to start reading your Bibles. First Corinthians six nine. I read it many times. You'll hear me read it many more times. Do, not, do you not know the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. There's a lot of deception today. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers. We'll let the, we'll the heterosexuals up first, notice. 
that want to go practice these things. He's talking about practicing, making provisions for them. And then he says, nor homosexuals. Homosexual means an effeminate, a man that acts like a woman. I'm going to tell you something. Our culture is being homosexualized. Nor sodomites, that's an abuser of mankind. That's engaging in that act. Nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. I'll go back to, notice he doesn't say alcoholics, he says drunkards. Language is huge, guys. But notice verse 11. And such were some of you. That's what you were. Praise God, amen? But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit of our God. That is the gospel. And that's what needs to be preached. (laughs) Heavenly Father, we bless you tonight. We praise you, Lord. Just thank you that you are so good. Your news is good. Oh, Lord God, I know... You took these things on yourself so we could be forgiven and set free. Oh, Lord God, I pray we'd be burdened by these things. I pray, God, that we won't be conditioned by the world and heresies. Not that we would lash out out of hatred or anger, but out of passion would be unashamed of the gospel and we would stand in the gap for people, especially these young people being lied to. Oh Lord God, grant us grace and mercy as a nation. Grant us even more grace and mercy as a state. As a people, God, we need your help desperately, God. We desperately, desperately need you, God. Meet us where we're at tonight. Give us a hunger for you, the word of truth. Listen, if you're here tonight and you don't know the Lord, again, Jesus wants to wash you of your sin. He wants to begin a work in you. He'll be faithful to complete it. Look, this is in the word. This room's full of these testimonies. We ain't gathered and gathering here as, as, as a people that never did anything wrong. This is a room full of sinners. So many face down, their life's destroyed, and they heard of a man named Jesus, the Son of God who died for their sins and rose from their grave. And at the rock bottom, they said, Jesus, save me. So many testimonies in this room of, 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 of us, my included, in, in vile places, in abominable practices. And Jesus, Jesus washed and forgave and is, is doing a good work. He calls him, he's calling you to himself. Call on his name. Ask him to be your Lord. Tell him, Lord, I'm, I'm ready to be forgiven and washed. I want what you have. Be my Lord. Lord, any in that place, here, meet them where they are. Anyone maybe watching online or maybe they'll watch this, hear this archived at some point. Oh, Lord, meet them where they're at. Lord, go before us as only you can. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.